Welcome back from summer break. Hi, I'm Joe Greer, uh, Pedro Jose Greer. I'm the dean at the College of Medicine at Roseman University here in Las Vegas. Today we have a very special show and it's going to be more of a conversation on the intersection between how things in society work and how we can help the most vulnerable and educate the future generation of healthcare providers. I am uh, honored to have here today from Orange County, just flew in. Daisy Chen. She is a partner at Alpha Converge, a management consulting firm that is recognized as one of the best in big data, data integration, business intelligence, and machine learning. Apart from being brilliant, she's also a, uh, she's breaking barriers. Very few women are in the position that she's in, and even more so, very few women of underrepresented minorities. She has worked in the data field, she has worked in the technology field, and she works in everything from marketing to helping companies and consulting. She's the founder of the big, best big data and the most innovative machine learning company in Nevada. She has almost two decades of experience, you can't tell, you, you would think she's 18 years old, <laughs> in uh, tracking complex projects for highly, for highly matrix Fortune 500 companies, a leading management consulting firm, and top media and advertising agencies. And she's here to talk to us today about her expertise in technology in the future and how that applies, not just to those of us that can afford this, but how does this apply to those that can't? How do we use this technology? How do we use this marketing? How do we use all these different things to really improve the lives of people here in the Valley and then hopefully around the country? Next to her is, I will consider her an old friend or a young friend, <laughs> I'm the old part. This is Dr. Faircloth, Jamie. She uh, serves as our Associate Dean for Assessment and Evaluation at Roseman University College of Medicine. She brings her with her a wealth of knowledge and expertise in professional program accreditation, measurement, evaluation, and expertise in professional, uh, and expertise in the professional program accreditation, measurement, evaluation, and assessment analytics, as well as a decade of experience conducting mixed methods research across communities, clinical, and educational settings. She works collaboratively with pretty much everybody, and which is one of the important things we need to do in society. We gotta get rid of these silos. If not, we're not gonna to come to real solutions. By the way, she got her bachelor's of science in health science education. Uh, a Master of Public Health degree and a Master of Science in Pharmacy from the University of Florida, my alma mater too. And her husband today was nice enough to dress in orange and blue. But she also has a PhD in Human Sciences from Florida State University and subsequently completed her postdoctoral fellowship training in behavioral medicine research at Duke University Medical Center. Jeremy has achieved heights academically, intellectually, that people can only dream of doing. Oh, by the way, she's a member of Mensa. That means that when she leaves the room, the IQ, well, if I leave the room, the IQ goes up. 
But if you leave, it drops. And a repeat visitor that we have here, Dr. Karen Esposito. She's our professor and our senior executive dean for academic and student affairs at Roseman University College of Medicine. Karen, I have worked with and I have known for almost 20 years, where she did a spectacular job at FIU. You have met her before here on the show. And the interaction here is to talk about technology, education, and students, and what we need to do to do that. Because the other thing, too, is we're also going for first-generation students, first-gen college, which means they might not be as versed in technology as their peers that are coming in. So, Daisy, now that I described who you are, tell me what you do. Uh, it's uh, an honor. I'm very humbled to be here, part of the discussion. So uh, I'm uh, like analytics data science person. So um, I try to use uh, AI and data science and, and technology to help uh, businesses to, you know, to innovate. And so we of a converge, like we co we're constantly researching to stay ahead of the game and help our clients to stay above the curve. Have you ever been involved in medical education? In education, I would say we helped uh, companies in this uh, sector to uh, train their um, talents with the AI uh, data science skills. Fantastic. And have you thought of ways, how can we help the part of America that doesn't have access to Wi-Fi? As our team, Genesis, which is our household-centered care model, tells me, they're going to households where people don't even have emails. And some people think email is already antiquated. I have an AOL account, okay? <laughs> I actually still pay them every month. So I feel bad if I quit paying my four ninety nine, the company might collapse. So the uh, what I'd like to do right now is open this up for Karen and for Jamie to start the discussion and ask the questions. Because you are the educators. You are the ones here that are going to form the different minds. She has an expertise that expands beyond just tech. It's business, it's marketing, it's all these different things. How do we convert those secrets into not making money, but making people healthier? So, Jamie, what do you think? Certainly, I think there's a room um, at the table for everyone here. So, as you mentioned, having you know physicians, two physicians as yourselves, and um, myself trains as data scientist. Yeah, but she also has a PhD. Absolutely. So she's a, a yeah. you know, so and she's a classical musician. Uh, yes, and, and she, know, climbed she climbed the Alps. She climbed the Alps. You have to have that part in there. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, in. Um, Daisy being in technology and a leader in the, in the field. Um, so I like the fact that we're coming together to have these conversations. And um, so um, just, again, being able to um, sit with Daisy, we were talking, we had met previously and just were talking about the opportunities that are there. Um, Daisy having experience with healthcare entities to figure out how to provide, um, you know, improve patient care, patient outcomes, um, but then trying to think of how we can then apply that to education. So training our students. Um, so I think th I'm, I'm very happy to be here and to have someone with this, our, you know, our expertise, but then also a couple with yours can be so beneficial. And so. And, and it's going to be very different for the doctor of the future. It's very different for the doctor of today. Absolutely. For example, with AI, you're going to develop algorithms. We need to train the doctor on how to pick the outliers. Not everybody fits into the algorithm. And we have to be also very careful 
that medicine does not lose its human touch. Technology is a tool, just like our stethoscope and uh, ophthalmoscopes, all of those. They don't give you the answer. They give you the tools to come up with the answer and how to do that. Mm -hmm. Karen, you had some questions. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, again, thank you, Jamie. It's, you know, it is great to have that conversation and to span different fields. And that is something that um, I think medical schools really need to recognize because we physicians who were trained decades ago can't provide all of the education that the doctors that are coming up need. Um, we don't have that background and that expertise, and there are some of those things that are not part of traditional or historical medical school curricula. So teaching, learning about data science, and, and there's a good bit in the literature starting to be in the medical education literature about the need to address this, but how mm -hmm. is not yet clear, right? I mean, you can give a lecture and, and give people some information, but that doesn't really give them the, the, the tools to apply. Um, what, what they've learned. And, and doctors are already using um, a lot of systems to help manage the huge amount of medical information that is now you know, available. It's not anymore just about knowing everything because that's almost not possible, but how do you access the knowledge when you need it? Um, how do you access the information when you need it? So, you know, any thoughts about maybe some, from some of your experience developing training programs, like how do you do that? How do you teach people, um, you know, in a, in a, a, what kind of curriculum, like what kind of approach to teach people skills where even maybe the current leaders in their field don't have that knowledge to pass on? Um, I think it's absolutely very important for the physicians um, to have knowledge in technology, especially, uh, I actually had one of those programs and, uh, uh, called AI uh, in healthcare of, uh, at Stanford. So they accept not only physicians uh, who, ha who haven't had AI background when they were in medical school and they can uh, go back to school and to learn about those new technologies and also people who uh, were never a doctor but they uh, they were in technology and they were in AI and they are serious about to uh, you know to help like reshape this uh, uh, industry um, I think that's absolutely um, important and then um, I think to um, actually you know those AI programs actually are quite technical, and I think it's uh, uh, it's important for doctors to know those um, very technical, like how the AI neural network uh, are built, because uh, there's really things that are unique in this industry. Like for example, if the AI, um, you know, if the AI model is for um, other industry and the stakes are not so high, but in healthcare, if this AI model is supposed to diagnose like a cancer, and then maybe even there's a small chance and we want it to be flagged, so bring it uh, to the doctor's attention. Um, and like Google and lots of the companies, they try to put together a team of physicians and engineers so to create like uh, the next generation of or different kind of AI models. I think um, there's more career paths for the physicians in the future. Uh, absolutely, you know.
the medical school, you know, the textbook are become thicker and thicker, adding more, <laughs> you know, those new skills, mm -hmm. uh, just like uh, in the past, we don't use computer, but now we all, you know, sort of uh, knows how to use um, Excel. Yeah, this is really exciting for me. And, and um, I, there's a lot of talk in, you know, the academy about um, training medical students to be, you know, AI um, literate, not proficient necessarily because we're not mm -hmm. training um, data scientists, but just really being, you know, literate yeah. and understanding how to use it. So I, I'm so excited that we get an opportunity to start talking about this, you know, at the table. And it's just not training can... them in how to use AI. Yeah. It's having them use AI Absolutely. while they're in school. Mm -hmm. Because one thing is you could be trained for something and you lose it. Let me ask you about augmented reality for doing procedures. What a wonderful way to go through a procedure without hurting anybody. Because competency depends upon how many times you actually do that. This is doing procedures is more like a sport. Mm -hmm. The more you practice, the better you are. What do you think of that? That actually reminded me uh, of very good uh, use cases of AI. So, uh, so are doctors they use um, exploring using AI to simulate surgical procedures. So the simulation can, you know, see, uh, like uh, in different circumstances and scenarios, what the doctor can do when this happens. So think about if uh, a surgeon who have this uh, tool and versus a surgeon don't have this tool, especially if this procedure is a kind of a risky procedure and then uh, you know, this give this uh, a physician a competitive advantage and also improving. We, we know for a fact that when a surgical team works together and practices together, that they have much better outcomes. And this was shown at Mass General with thoracic surgery, where the chair was, you know, my generation. So, no, I don't need to do that. I've never done that before. The young surgeons that had just gotten on faculty would have one specific team of nurses and assistants and they would practice, not on humans, but they would practice on uh, simulation. And they had much better outcomes for two reasons. Number one, not just because you repeat doing it, but the human part of working as a team. Mm -hmm. And so knowing what the other people are doing. Now, we also are very involved in what we believe is one of the responsibilities of medical educators, and that's social accountability. That's to reduce disparities in communities. And we have one uh, program called Genesis, which we've talked about before, which is household-centered care, which now has about 60 households, overwhelmingly underinsured or uninsured. And they work with another program where we have also called Empowered, which is for opioid-addicted uh, mothers and stimulant-addicted mothers and their children. Now, with addiction, that's a whole separate conversation, but it's all the social determinants that will affect your recovery. So they work closely with Genesis. Now, these are insured because they get Medicaid if you're a mother or a pregnant mother. But here we go into these households, and when I talk to the team, they tell me things like, we go into households where nobody even has an email address. We go into households where nobody knows how to register and get different things. Now, SNAP and other benefits for the poor are all online. So if you don't have that access, and some of them don't even live around where there's Wi-Fi. So the kid that goes to the library to study because they have Wi-Fi means they got to schlep the entire family there to teach them how to do it. If we could get Wi-Fi, let, let's do a, a perfect scenario. We produce enough providers so that everybody can have a doctor. 
We bring Wi-Fi into these communities. How is technology going to improve their life? Uh, I what I really love about Genesis program is that uh, you know a lot of uh, uh, you know business cases um, like uh, there are uh, entrepreneurs trying to help. Uh, like a low income or rural areas at the same time can also you know make a profit to survive and a lot of those use cases involve um, changing consumers behaviors like I think uh, uh, you know a lot of the uh, the uh, people in those areas they trust uh, people they know they trust the physicians and people in those communities um, successfully you know, you know, change consumers' behavior. Like, uh, for example, uh, if uh, those wearable devices actually, uh, they, they're relatively less accessible to people, uh, like uh, this group of population, but uh, they might benefit from them the most because uh, preventative care is always gonna be less expensive than emergency care or ER visit. And so if we can, uh, so when we do marketing, and normally uh, we would, uh, in healthcare industry or other industry, uh, we believe uh, like if the consumer is not ready uh, for say a doctor visit, we're ready to uh, uh, go to the next stage of the customer journey. Uh, if we push them information that will not only uh, annoy them, um, will also sort of, uh, uh, it's just not a good practice. So we try to uh, personalize the message and to um, deliver to uh, the people who really want it and to move slowly uh, to the next stage of the customer journey and until they are ready to see a doctor, ready to get treatment. Um, so that's uh, really like important in terms of uh, reaching. In, in some of the populations that we take care of, and particularly the recent immigrants from Latin America, uh -huh. they don't even receive their care here. They'll go back to their home country and buy the medications because it's cheaper and see who they saw there. So you have no record of that going on here. It's a very complex uh, situation that goes on there. And even those with insurance, it, it becomes a, it, it's, it, we have no system in this country. We have, Companies, but no system. And people, uh, healthcare right now is the number one cause of bankruptcy in this country. So we have to look and be careful. That, that one of the reasons for that is lack of transparency. You and I were talking earlier about CVS and and uh, Walmart and Krugers and things of that nature that have those mini clinics. Well, mini clinics are interestingly the only transparent system of healthcare in this country. You walk in, there's a menu and there's a price, and that's it. They don't get surprise billing. You know that if you get in a car accident and your insurance says you need to go to this hospital, many times they'll take you to the nearest hospital, depending on the acuity of the illness. But you go into this hospital that your insurance company tells you to go to. But the trauma surgeon on call doesn't belong to your health insurance plan. You can get a $100,000 bill apart from paying your insurance. So we have a really broken system. Can technology help that system? Or even just in, you move from one job to another, you change your insurance. That means you change your doctor, because if the other one isn't on there. So the 
disadvantage that the vulnerable populations have, particularly the black and the brown. And we saw how they were completely ignored during COVID. They could not participate in telemedicine because they didn't have a doctor. The only ones that participated in had them that we don't have to deal with insurance because they don't have any. But we can try and get them into it. And we can try and make it so we can bring these families back to resilience. Because remember, 80% of illnesses have a non-biologic cause. The rampant rate of type 2 diabetes in this country is caused because of social determinants. Diet, exercise, style of life. Now, if you live in a very high crime area, you're not going for a jog at night, you know? Or if it's not well lit, or you have no green spaces. And uh, there's, you know, and so looking at technology as a tool. Now, we use technology in Genesis. We have a platform that follows longitudinally 10 domains of the social determinants of health. Tell me how that can help looking at health outcomes in the future. Can we use that with AI and predictive analytics? Um, AI, say, um, I would say, like, um, um, like if say there's an app, there's some of the app, for example, um, they try to, um, like, so by people down, uh, download, uh, I think that, that's more like a use cases of uh, augment, uh, like AR. Um, so the people who have neural degenerates disease they can download the app and if they cannot afford they don't want it to go to the nursing home um, so the app actually uh, that technology actually can show you this is the way uh, to the bathroom this is the way it's the time to uh, get your medicine and then uh, there will be voices like of your family like your son too um, you know, seems like he's talking to you. And even actually, uh, you know, his son is actually out there like in the office working or, you know, uh, taking care of uh, uh, their kids. And so uh, I think we need more um, physicians who have, who is equipped with technology to come up uh, with more this type of ideas to you know, because physicians, they are uh, with the patient like mm -hmm. every day and they can just like you, you know, have, um, you see a lot of different problems. And if, uh, you know, uh, they learn those technologies from uh, school or like a podcast like this, and they can, um, you know, have more ideas. Well, the, the way I see it, technology is going to continue to advance. That's not going to stop. So what we need to teach our students are the basics so that they can continue learning for life sure. exactly, yeah. and applying these things for life. Well, with, with the platforms that we have, like the Genesis platform, being able to collect those additional data points that then we can use to train machine learning models to you know, better predict um, certain outcomes or even like prescriptive analytics. We were kind of talking about that. So going a little bit beyond just predictive, um, I think that's important. So the fact that we are collecting those social determinants of health data points, we can then feed that into systems. So And students. Absolutely. Could we use AI and students to be able to predict if they're having problems with their classes Absolutely. early on? Absolutely. Because medical school is not cheap. Right. right. Have somebody repeat a year right. is extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. And if they don't finish, it's even more expensive with the loans they have. So we have to be able, after we admit them, to be able to support them, right. to follow them, to be able to identify when they're having trouble. Right. so that we can help them graduate. 
we go through a very extensive selection process in medicine, as opposed to the around the world where they have a very easy admissions process. They might admit 1,500 into a class and graduate 200. You know, we, we admit 120 and graduate 110. Is that about right? Yeah, or more. No more? Or more. Yeah, or yeah. more, yeah. more so, than that. <laughs> Karen, as the, uh, as the Senior Executive Dean for Student and Academic Affairs, how do you see this being used in student affairs with what we're doing? Oh, I think, you know, there are so, so many different uses on the educational side, on the student support side. Um, one of one of the ways in which um, technology, um, including AI and, and other um, support systems have, I think, already influenced medical education is in providing a lot of learning support tools. Mm -hmm. So there, you know, the one thing that we have to watch about that, and, and, and I think it's very important that schools think about these tools ahead of time. It's not just what we teach. Our students tell us, I'm using this program to learn this. Mm -hmm. I'm using this app. I'm using this, you know, mm -hmm. support. Uh, technology, but the problem is that, um, that and some of those tools are great. So I think it behooves us to take a close look at those, sure. see which ones uh, we think um, are going to really help support our curriculum and our learning, and then actually provide them to the students. Right. Because um, if if only some students can afford them and not others, then that creates an imbalance and a barrier again for the students who are you know, wealthy and uh, maybe have extra resources or able to buy a lot of these uh, learning support tools versus us really saying, you know, the students, students are going to use these tools, right? So, um, and they're going to figure out a way to pay for them or, 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 or to get them. So how do we help them help curate which are the best tools to support our curriculum and then actually provide them for the students, acknowledging that, you know, that whether it's, um, whether it's um, tools that you know, run exam questions constantly so they can practice taking exam questions and standardized exams or that, that present, um, whether it's pathology data or anatomy data, you know, images or things like that in a really uh, learning, user-friendly kind of way. Um, those are, there are some great tools out there. And, and I think, you know, uh, traditionally maybe in medical education, it's been like, well, they should just learn, you know, what we're teaching them in the classroom. They, they should just the learn the way we were taught. The fact is the students are going to use it. And, and I think there's so much out there now that if we can help curate that for them and say, you know, our students seem to find that this works or, or, you know, we think this is a great tool to support our curriculum that would make some things easier for them. Okay, one last question to all of you before we end the show, because this half hour has gone incredibly quickly. How are we going to save the world? <laughs> and how are we going to use technology and medical education to do that? I, I, for me, um, I, I definitely think it's kind of what I started with, um, just us coming together. Um, as a data scientist, one of the first things we're trained in is the importance of the domain knowledge. So we're not physicians. We, we just aren't. And we, you know, we're not, um, you know, necessarily public health professionals or whatever have you. So we have to understand what you all know and then the better the technology based on that. So I think that that's one way that we can do it. If we all come together, sit at the table, I learn from you. You all tell us as, as tech folks what you need, then we can help design it. But I think us trying to answer things on, on our own, it's just not going to get there. We're not going to see things from your perspective. So I think the value in having experts in that area, in the medical educators, the physicians, to actually tell us what's needed, I think that's going to be key. So you're actually giving a great recommendation to the United States of America. Let's work, let's <laughs> let's work, work together. together. Let's work together. Let's make yes, things sir. better. If we yes, all sir. work together and we all bring the perspectives to the table, yes, sir. 
that we bring people to resilience. Absolutely. Daisy? Um, I really agree with this. I think uh, um, we should try because technology and everything is changing so fast. I really think, uh, you know, everybody expert, we should all come together and to really create um, something that really works. And then I, um, I wanted to, I remember there's a, a venture capitalist firm executive said what a kind of uh, startups they wanted to invest in. Um, they, uh, they were looking for someone who is um, like really serious about dedicating their life to this business ideas. So I hope we can have more, um, you know, business people who wanted to help um, everybody and to really wanted to make it happen. Yeah, to change people's lives. I, th I think so. And I also think bringing business people into it becomes very important because when sh once you get out of the protective cocoon of medical education, the world out there is business, whether you're in the public sector or private sector. So it becomes important. Thank you. Karen? Um, I, you know, I'm just thinking about all the different intersection points here. And I think that as long as we remember that it's our duty to our patients that is, you know, primary doing the best job that we possibly can. Um, I think that, that, you know, we can figure out a way to integrate this also into medical curriculum. There's an awful lot that students need to learn. Um, and I, I think that, you know, finding ways to integrate um, across everything that they have to learn is going to be really important and not sort of siloing this as a special topic. Right, this I think is it something be. that we have to figure out that. how to integrate to into medical education. Excellent. Excellent. I, I, I couldn't agree with you yeah. more. Now you understand why the Y chromosome is not needed. Because <laughs> <laughs> with the X chromosome, not only do you get the brightest people in the world, they have the answers. It's my honor to have met you in person. Please say hi to Vic when you return home. <laughs> thank you and, so much, And uh, Jamie, thank you. Karen, thank you. And I'll thank see you guys, so. like, for the rest of my career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Daisy, we expect you back, at least in Zoom calls. Oh, okay. thank you so much. We're going to ask for your commitment to help us to educate the best physicians ever. Always happy to. Well, from Studio A in Las Vegas, the long summer break is over, and you have three incredibly intellectual, individuals with the right heart, the heart to make the world better. So with that, till the next episode, goodbye from Cuba Pete. When I play the maracas, I go chick chicky boom, chick chicky boom.